Good introduction, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at a saying of Christ that to some is puzzling, but I pray that it'll be meaningful to you after we go through this. Now, before we start, it sounds a little... Um, I just wanted to share sort of a, um, just a clip that's a little comical, but I'll try to state why I wanted to show the clip, if we could do that. Hey, I'm Bruce from His Wireless Company. He could have switched to U.S. Cellular and been rewarded with a new phone faster, but why do that when it's so rewarding keeping your old phone forever? It's working. I'm a man, honey. <laughs> Married a man. U.S. Cellular believes you deserve better. There are certain commercials that I really enjoy. I especially love facial expressions. And the facial expression on the wife says volumes to me. The reason I just picked that one out is because the man perceives himself to be something very different than what his wife perceives him to be. And uh, we are actually going to look at a group of, of men that perceive themselves to be something that, that they're really not. But in Luke chapter 5, I'd like us to look at um, just a few verses, and you can follow along in your Bibles, and we'll put some on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 5 speaks about a very meaningful encounter that Christ had with Matthew and uh, different ones at that time. So I'll read, you can follow along. It says this, verse 29, Then Levi, and that would be another name for Matthew. Matthew would be his Greek name, Levi his Hebrew name. That was common during that time. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. For a few minutes, I'd like to just zero in on that last phrase where Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous. And if I could entitle this message, it really would be entitled, in, in essence, is why Jesus did not call the righteous or the good. Now, several things. Why did Jesus not call the righteous or not call the good? It's almost like a paradox, isn't it? It's sort of, what does that mean? Why would it say, I came not to call the good? That's just the reverse of the way I look at things. Isn't God calling in the good people to be a part of his kingdom? That's not exactly what Jesus is saying here. And so it's a very challenging statement that I would like to reflect on as we look at it. And I'd like to look at it in the historical context so you'd understand it just a little bit better. Now, one thing I do want to bring out here as we start, again, Jesus said, I came not to call. Many times when we think about salvation, we rightly think it deals all with our call. Like there's Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that says, 
Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And oftentimes we focus in on our call. That's legitimate. There's nothing wrong. That's clearly biblical. But I think there's another aspect of salvation that maybe we don't look at as closely as we should that is as much of salvation as our call, and that's God's call. Notice what Jesus is saying here. It sounds like he's the one that does the initial call. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. And so Jesus initiates the call. In fact, there's a number of verses in the New Testament that support the call of God. I'd like to mention one of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it talks about this. Notice what these verses say. For consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now watch this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But you notice as that whole phrase came out, God chose. And when we speak about salvation, there is an aspect where God reaches out and chooses. God calls. And that's what we want to look at as we look at the phrase, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous. In fact, there's a number of verses. I want to just refer to them. You can just listen to them as you listen to the New Testament. It says this, In Acts 2.39, as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice God is calling. Here's another one in Romans 1, 6 and 7. It says, you are called of Christ Jesus, called to be saints. In Romans 9.24, even us whom he called. 1 Corinthians 1, we looked at. Galatians chapter 1, when Paul speaks of his salvation experience, he called me through his grace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, to which he called you by our gospel. 2 Timothy 1, 9, who has called us and, and saved us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are a chosen generation that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness. And then, same epistle, may the God of all grace who has called us. Simply trying to enforce in our minds that God does the calling. Now, what, what in essence God is endeavoring to share here, or Jesus, is who, whom does Jesus call And the phrase we want to consider, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, 
but the sinners to repentance. Now, as in any other Bible passage, it's always best to study that within the context that it is given. And that's what we'd like to do here this morning. So if you look at in Luke chapter 5, just backing up to verses, verse 27, it speaks about the call of Matthew. Let me read and you follow. After these things, he, Jesus, went out and he saw a tax collector, Levi, sitting at the tax office. Now, what that means is there was a roadway that went between Damascus and the Mediterranean Sea. It passed through the city of Capernaum, and they had different tax offices that would be set up to charge taxes, road taxes, for anything that would pass by. Matthew was sitting at one of those tax offices, and Jesus came by, and he calls him. He said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and he followed him. This is a shocking call when you think about it, because when you think about tax collectors in that world, they were traitors to Israel. They collected taxes for Rome. They were despised by the general public. They were excluded from the synagogue. They were excluded from the temple. In other words, if we would be a spiritual gathering, maybe like a temple was, we would say, tax collectors, not welcome here. That would be the normal response of spiritual bodies within that day and age. In fact, in the, sometimes, yes, they were greedy, materialistic. Also, it says in the Jewish Talmud, which is just the Jewish writings, they say it was a righteous thing to lie to tax collectors, like we might do to the IRS. God forbid, hopefully we don't. But I mean, that's the idea here. In other words, when Jesus called this man to become a follower of his, it would have been shocking to that religious world of that day. They probably would have wanted to say, Jesus, what in the world are you doing here? This is a tax collector here. And yet Jesus calls this man. That's the setting of the phrase that we're starting to look at. So you have the shocking call that takes place in verse 27. And then in verse 29, you have what's called the the incredible feast that takes place as Matthew or Levi is called. Notice what the Bible says. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Now, several things as you think through the historical context of this. I think Matthew, as he understood Christ calling him, felt so privileged, so grateful that he wanted to share this call, this great change that came into his life with all of his associates. Now, again, I want to try and paint the picture so it's easy for us to understand here what what is going on. Notice it says, he threw, notice it says, a great feast, which means this isn't some small celebration. This is a major celebration that probably included many people, much food, great celebration. It was a big thing. And it's in his own house, it says. That means that Matthew had to have a fairly plush, nice house in order to do this. Now, I want you to think for just a little bit to try and make it realistic to us. If, for example, our nation being a little shaky economically, 
He said, well, that's certainly true. But let's imagine if Russia as a nation, more powerful because of our instability, came in and began to rule over the United States, and they wanted to administer their type of government here. And we couldn't do anything about it, because really that's what Rome was doing to Israel at this time. And they said, okay, we're going to appoint some of you to help us collect special taxes that we need to run this country the way we want to run it. So let's just say we take five people out of this audience right here that are selected by the Roman government, or in our case, the Russian government, and now we have said, you know, we need you to collect these taxes. And yes, we want you to collect more than what you need. We want you to make a good living And therefore, the five people out of this audience take the job and uh, they begin to do it. But because of the funds that come in, they're able to build maybe better houses than what we ourselves might have. They might be able to drive better cars than maybe what we have. My question, if that did happen, how would you feel about these people that build these houses and have this type of things on the back of your money? Would you be endeared to a people like this? Or would you be a little tempted to think like the normal Jew would think? These people represent everything we hate and despise and they're making money off of us. We don't want to pay that. And now you can start to see the difficulty that was coming into place here. Matthew was a tax collector. We don't know why or how he became a tax collector. The Bible never tells us that. But for Jesus to select one of these men was very difficult for the Pharisees or the religious crowd to really swallow. Now watch what happens here. And there was a great number, it it was a great feast, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. So now these tax collectors who, you know, if you think about it, where else can they go to have a social gathering? I mean, they're not welcome at the synagogue. They're not welcome at the temple. And so this tax collector, he is so excited, he invites them all to come. And they come. Doesn't mean they come for spiritual reasons. They just came because it was a big feast. They were curious. How could this religious figure choose one of us? We don't know. We've never seen anything like this. Let's go and see what it's all about. So they're all there. And there's other people that are there as well. Now watch this as it goes through. And their scribes and Pharisees complained. That's interesting, that little pronoun there, which means the scribes ministered to a number of people, and as they worked with those people, some of those people went to the feast itself, and the scribes were furious. What are you guys doing? Because if they sit down and eat with these tax collectors, it means they are accepted accepting them as people. And they didn't want that. And so as as we go through that, we begin to see that the Pharisees describes the religious crowd is complaining on, on this whole sense. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because they called many of the people that would associate them sinners. Now, keeping that in mind, in fact, I think it says... As you look at the book of Matthew, that tax collectors were oftentimes put together with prostitutes. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus said, truly I say unto you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. 
For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. Notice how the tax collectors are grouped with prostitutes and sinners. Those three are almost synonymous as you go through this time. And so that's the setting of this entire statement. Now, as I think about these Pharisees, they wanted these tax collectors shunned. And here may be some of the ideas that maybe went through their mind. I think they would have said, hey, these people should be shunned because they are far from God. And they'd also want you to understand, and we are not. We're near to God. That's what the Pharisees would have thought. That would have been a normal way of them thinking. These people are far from God, but we're not. I think they would have probably addressed the whole idea of of repentance. They would have said in their mind, these tax collectors, these people that associate with tax collectors, they must repent. But we really wouldn't have to repent. We're in no need of great repentance, but clearly they are. I think it would have gone to the place where they would have said, we, we are sort of a spiritual people. They are not a spiritual people, but we are. So they would have accused them of not being spiritual, but the people themselves, the Pharisees, would have said, we are spiritual I think they would have said, this people really, they don't honor God. But, but really, we do honor God. They would have said, this people, they don't follow the law. But, but we follow the law. That's the attitude, that's the setting where Jesus is going to make this statement. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, as you think through all of these things, there's some hypocrisy here that I think would be clearly seen. If you have your Bibles, um, staying in the Gospel of Luke, look at Luke chapter 16. If you don't, I'll certainly read this verse to you, and it'll help you understand what I'm trying to say when I say there's some hidden hypocrisy even in these things that the religious leaders were saying It says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of what? Money. That's interesting, isn't it? It says in the scriptures that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Now, think about a practice that the Pharisees themselves incorporated within their everyday life. I'm not going to read the passage. You can read it at home. But in Matthew chapter 15, they had an activity that they called Korban, C-O-R-B-A-N. And what that was is these Pharisees and religious people would take their material possessions and they would dedicate them to God. Sounds good. And then it says, Jesus accused them. He says, you know, when your mom and dad come to you with needs, you say, mom and dad, we would love to help you, but we have nothing. Everything that we have is dedicated to God because we're a spiritual people and God comes first. And Jesus says, how is it 
that you follow the traditions of men to break the commandment of God because God said you should honor your father and your mother. In fact, these same goods that they say were dedicated to God, actually they had ways of getting back into those funds later on in life. It was, it was a facade. Now, they thought themselves like the guy in the, in the clip And I don't want to pick on men because that clip, wow, my my wife and I go through that all the time. But as, as you look at the clip, he perceived himself as something. These Pharisees perceived themselves as being spiritual even in the material world. But now watch Luke. Just look back in, in, in Luke chapter 5 where we were. It says this about Luke when Jesus called him. It says this, so he, Matthew, left all, rose up, and followed him. And so now what you have is you have Matthew, who has this great way of living, has this beautiful house. Jesus calls him, and he is totally going to leave his source of income, his way of life. It doesn't mean anything to him. He's gone. He's going to follow Christ totally. So my question to you in that regard, who is really spiritual? Is it the Pharisees and scribes or is it Matthew? You see, the people of that day would have said, I think it's the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the religious crowd. They're the spiritual ones. Matthew's a tax collector. He's the spies. But when you got to the heart of the matter, it was Matthew that really honored God. You see, and there would have been many other things within the realm of these religious people that would have been very similar to a place where, and I'm not going to take time to show that, but if you read Isaiah chapter 1, it talks about how these religious people of Isaiah's day would offer up sacrifice after sacrifice, and God hated it because it was heartless. It didn't carry the true heart devotion. And he said, I despise your feast and your sacrifices. And isn't it true within church life, oftentimes we can go through motions with any other heart devotion. Now, keeping all of that in mind, look again at verse 31 as we look at how Jesus calls people. Now, watch this. As you keep that all in mind, that background verse, Jesus answered and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Now that's a simple illustration that Jesus is trying to bring. I like to change it just a little bit and let's, instead of a doctor, let's put dentist in there because dentists are doctors as well and I don't want to begrade the dentist. It's just that would you ever go to a dentist office to hear the nice music of that drill going in the background? Is that something that you would go to if you had no problems with your teeth whatsoever? You would say, perish the thought, never! We never go to the dentist unless we have not. You should go for checkups. It's a lot better to do it that way, otherwise you're in trouble. But the whole idea, you would never go there unless you had a definite need. That's the only time that you go, and that's what Jesus is saying. Now watch what he says here when he says call. I did not come to call the righteous. Now in the context that it's given here, the righteous refers to the religious crowd. I did not come to call these religious ones, 
But I came to call those who are simply sinners. That's what Jesus says. In fact, if you think through the New Testament, it is very, very interesting to me. There's a number of illustrations here that I would just like to draw up about different ones who did come to Jesus. But Jesus calls those who are spiritually sick. I want you to understand that. When those who came to Jesus who did not think they were spiritually sick. Now watch these because this is a very important point. Look at the very first one that I listed there, the rich young ruler. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, but this is, he did come to Jesus. And he said, good master, what good thing could I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that would be in reference to God. This man did come to Jesus, but he came to Jesus as someone who was good. My question, did that man find salvation or the call of God? He did not. There's another one that's interesting, the older son, which I won't get into, but his two sons and a father and uh, The father comes out to the feast and he starts to visit with the older son. And the older son, as as he listens to the father's plea, says, I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. It's really a reference to someone who is coming to God, but he thinks he's okay. I've not really blown it here. I'll come, but I've not really blown it. So he comes to God as someone who is fairly good. Does he find salvation? Again, I would say no. Then as you look at the Pharisees at John's preaching, John the Baptist came and he began to preach in the wilderness and large crowds came to listen to John. Now again, I want to bring out the fact these people were coming to listen to the preaching, to hear what was being said. But the majority of them, as John would preach, they'd look around and see tax collectors and prostitutes, and they'd say, oh, those people are, they need to be here. They're catching the message. They, they should repent. They should be baptized. But they themselves never presented themselves as someone who was lost. They came before God presenting themselves as someone who did not have a great need. Did they find salvation? They did not. Another group, the Pharisees at the healing of the blind, John chapter 9, after he healed the blind man, Jesus said he came that they might see. And he was talking, He first of all, he gave them physical sight, but then he was talking spiritually. And the Pharisees said, are we blind? And Jesus said something to them very interesting. He said, because you say that you see, your sins remain. What's being said there is that these Pharisees didn't think they had a great need. They thought they could see spiritually. And Jesus would not call them. Why? Because Jesus never came to call those who think they're righteous Uh, You need to think through and apply this. Pastor Pat made a comment the other week. He said, 
that a pastor of a larger church within our type of fellowship believed that half the congregation was not saved. Well, how could that ever happen? Isn't it possible that numbers of those people would say they came to Christ, but they came to Christ as those who had no real great needs. They just figure everybody's got to come to Christ. I'll come too, but I have no really great, I don't have a great need. If you come to Christ as a righteous person, there is no salvation. You understand what's being said here? That's what Jesus is saying. You can't come to me as a righteous person. Now now think about it from God's perspective, just for a minute. Jesus, who never had an impure thought, who never lost his temper, who never coveted, who loved his father with all of his heart, who treated everyone the same. Now here he is. There's no sin in his life whatsoever. As he looks at the world, every single soul... Is so different than his. Except some have a facade of religion and convince themselves that they're okay and they're not. And Jesus said, for me to call somebody, they're going to have to be a sinner. That's the only one that will come. That is the person whom I call. Now watch the ones that come to the Lord who do admit that they have, that they are spiritually sick. The tax collector. Remember, two men went up to the mountain to pray, or were in the mountain to pray, and one said, I thank you, I'm not like other people, and and I fast, and uh, he would be the example of someone who came to the Lord as being righteous. But the tax collector would not lift up his eyes to heaven. He stood afar off because he couldn't go into the temple or the synagogue. He stood afar off. He wouldn't lift up his eyes to heaven. And he smote his breast, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Did he find salvation? It said that he went down to his house justified. So why did he find salvation? Because you see, Jesus is calling the sinner. That's who Jesus is calling. The thief on the cross, the second one. Remember as he died, as he was dying, he looked at Jesus and admitted, I said, he said, we're here because we're receiving our due reward. But this one, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And then he turned to the Lord with a humble, repentant heart. And he said, Lord, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Did he find salvation? Yeah. Why? Because he came as one who was spiritually sick. The lost sheep of Israel. Here's an interesting one. When Jesus gave the very first commission... To his 12 disciples, he said, I don't want you to go to the Gentiles. I don't want you to go to the Samaritans. But I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now think about this for a while. They were to go to Israel proclaiming the truth. How much or how many in Israel were lost? And you would say, all of them. The problem is, There was a small number who thought they were lost. 
And so Jesus said, you go to them. The ones that know they're lost. You go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because Jesus said, I came not to call the good or those who think they're good. I came to call those who know they're not, that they're sinners. Those are the ones that I will work with. When you get to Luke chapter 15, you have the the example of, notice, the lost sheep. That's where the emphasis is. You have the lost coin. You have the lost son. That's the whole idea that Jesus is trying to get across as he does this teaching in Luke chapter 5 as well as in Matthew, a parallel passage. I'm not here to call the religious crowd that thinks they're good. I'm here to call people who will humbly admit that all they are are sinners in great need of a Savior. Those are the only ones that Jesus calls. And so my question, as you think through it, used to be an old Puritan preacher would say it this way. You can never get a person saved until you get them, what? Lost. There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? Because I do think there are people within our churches that have come to Jesus, but they never came to Jesus as a lost person. They just came to Jesus thinking, I'm okay, but everybody does this, so I guess I might as well do this too. Jesus calls the person that's lost, that's a sinner. There needs to be an understanding of that. Because like the other people that we pointed out, they came, but they never experienced salvation, nor did they ever experience a change of life. Christ wants to give a change of life, but it only happens to the humble, repentant heart of an individual. So my question to all of us, what did Jesus mean when he said, I came? In fact, it says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came not to call the good, really meaning those who think they're good. I came to call those who know they're not and would admit that they're sinners. That's where I am going to extend my call is to them. That message brings great hope to all of us because he's interested in sinners. Think about it as we close. Jesus goes through the land of Samaria. He finds a woman there. As he begins to talk with her, he says, go call your husband. And Jesus says, or Jesus says to her, well, you've had... You know, I said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you, you don't have a husband. And the one you're living with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. Why would God be interested in a woman like that in Samaria before many others? You see, the advantage that the down and out sinner has, their heart is no more pure than the good or righteous. And they could be greedy and materialistic, the difference is they can see easier their lostness than the religious person can.
That's the only advantage. They're as lost as anybody else, but they can see it clearer. Sometimes religious people are, are so unclear and they don't see themselves as lost, but they are as lost as the worst down and outer and our needs are all the same. Jesus calls sinners. And so my question is, has that been your experience I pray that it has. But if you have any questions on that, if you're not sure, if you desire help in that, we'd like to help in any way that we can because we want people to experience the true salvation of God, which is the conversion of sinners.